This is the Mangled Mind Podcast with Steve Shelton. Welcome to the Mangled Mind Podcast. I have to say something about our intro music. I love it. It's by a friend of mine, Joyce Irby, and she sang lead on one of my favorite songs of all time, I Miss You by the all-woman band Climax. It was one of the biggest hits of 1986, so many of you might not have been around when it first came out, but it's such a good song, you really should listen to it. And Dancing Alone is now our intro and outro music. Joyce's voice sounds as good as ever. She wrote and recorded the song during the pandemic, which, of course, makes sense. Joyce continues to make new music, now with her new all-woman band, and they're touring the country pretty much year-round. Thank you, Joyce. Now let's get to the real reason we're here. Today on the program, I'm thrilled to have Crystal. She's a wife, a mother, and a nurse. She was diagnosed with DID when she was quite young, just a teenager. Unlike me, you know, I waited until I was in my 30s because I was just a dumbass. Welcome, Crystal. Thanks for having me. How's everything going? Going all right. We had a recent trigger that has been a, a little bit of an interesting struggle within the system. And when you see things that have happened to you happen to other people, they're traumatic and you want to save them. You want to make sure that it doesn't happen to them too. And when you can't, that's heartbreaking. It truly is heartbreaking and frustrating when you see it happening and you can't do anything. If there's anything positive that comes out of the trauma we went through that caused our DID, it's that it makes us more empathetic towards others. I think we're willing to step in and try to help them when we see it. Crystal used a term that not all listeners might be familiar with, and that's the term system. It's a term that has become popular in recent years where the person with DID refers to everyone in their head, all their alters and themselves, as a system. They hope that they will communicate with each other and work together. It doesn't always work out that way. You mentioned that the trigger caused you to do a lot of switching. How many personalities do you actually have? And if you include me, I am the body. I go by crystal overall in our system. So if you include everybody else, it's 10. That's a softball team, but that's about normal, I believe. It's a lot more than I have. That's all I can say. Do you know when you're getting ready to switch? Sometimes. It depends on who's out. For me, I get this like almost anxiety feeling. My eyes twitch, like they'll close and tighten, almost like blinking really hard. And I do it several times. And then after that, I just don't know what happens. I don't know if I have any other signs or symptoms switching or if I just switch. When it happens, do you just suddenly wake up on the other end and it's at a different time? Yes. I always hated when that happened. It was very unnerving. It's confusing. You're discombobulated. It's scary not knowing what's happening. I can't tell you how many times I brought it up in group. Going to a DID group has been a lifesaver for us. To know that there are other systems out there and we are not alone means the world to us. The idea of not knowing what's going on behind your own back in your own life and you have no control over it is very disheartening. It's very disheartening to lose control over part of your life. And with DID, you can lose control over your entire life. For me, switching involved lightheadedness. I would get kind of dizzy. And the next thing I knew, I wasn't dizzy anymore, but it could be an hour later, a day later, or a year later. It's one of those things that's almost impossible to explain to someone without sounding, okay, I'm going to use the C word without sounding crazy. 
I'm very open about what I've forgotten, what kind of blackouts I've had. My guests, however, sometimes don't want things getting back to their family, friends, employers, or anyone else in their life. For that reason, I will play a podcast back to my guest before it goes on the air so that they can veto anything in the podcast or the podcast entirely. In today's recording, Crystal accidentally divulged some information that she realized she did not want to say, so I have edited that out because I have to have my guests trust me and I have to have the listeners trust me. I will do what I have to to protect the information that they want to hold secret, whether it be their identity or something they've said. We appreciate you. Crystal, these podcasts depend on guests like you who are willing to be interviewed. The integrity of the podcast depends on my keeping my word, so... I appreciate you and everyone else who comes on to the program. When were you diagnosed? 19. What happened up until that point that caused you to seek diagnosis or to have someone diagnose you? From what I was told, it was a very rainy night. I walked to the other side of town in the middle of the night. And when my therapist got to his office that morning, I was presenting as a four-year-old little girl who was lost scared and didn't know what was going on. I found out later that we had split and for whatever reason trusted our therapist enough to basically come out and say, hi, we need help. There's something not okay here with me. Four years old. That's that's young for an altar. I had a little who was older than that. I don't know the specific age because the therapist told me, but my my mind just cannot retain information like that when it comes to my altars. But to have one that small, is there anything else she said to the doctor? The four-year-old was very much, I'm sad, I'm in pain, I don't know what to do, in a four-year-old's way of talking. What did you do after that? We started switching more often. He got to meet some of the others, and eventually we were diagnosed. Did you continue seeing him after that? Unfortunately, he retired. That was the end of that for a while. Well, that sucks because it's so hard to find competent therapists who know anything about DID. Before you were diagnosed, did you have any missing time where you wondered what was happening? I don't remember the walk at all for that fact, but I also lose time quite frequently, especially back then when I didn't know. When I didn't know, I wasn't looking out for any signs or symptoms of DID. I didn't even know what it was. So to learn more about it has helped control a little bit the loss of time, or at least the reaction to loss of time. I'm not so scared of it anymore. At the time, uh, was your family involved in helping you get treatment, or were you pretty much on your own? Was getting treatment through my family. My dad at the time had retained guardianship over me. Even though I was an adult, legally I was a child. And so he was making medical, financial, pretty much any decision that you would make for a minor. He was as supportive as he could be, but he didn't know what DID was. So he had guardianship over you before the incident where you walked across town. Something else must have been going on with you, some other mental health issues. We had attempted suicide several times and been hospitalized several times by that time. Before we knew we had DID and that we were a system, we had attempted suicide well over, I don't even know, 15 times by age 19. Starting, I think the first time we tried was at 13, I believe it was Susan that completed that attempt. I'm really sorry to hear that, but it, you know, it's not unheard of. A lot of us with it have tried to kill ourselves because we either didn't know what was going on 
or we felt like we had no control. Absolutely. Over it. When you tried to commit suicide, did you have altars that stepped in and saved you? That interfered? I believe at every single corner, there was somebody who stepped in to save us. And who that is, I have no idea. We have tried so many times and even been resuscitated three times during all this. And we're still here. There's no loss of oxygen. Surprisingly, we're still relatively functional in this society. I've also tried to kill myself several times, but I haven't had that many. It's incredible that we have altars who are so concerned with dying that they will step in and stop us. To have a part or altar step in and be like, hey, this is not what I want. This is not what our system needs right now. There are so many people that would love us and miss us and it would hurt so many people. That whole nine yards of now is not the time for us. As someone who went through it, I can testify that it's scary. You're terrified. You don't know what's happening and you just want it to stop. So you end up trying to hurt yourself, especially when there's nobody around who understands anything that's going on. Absolutely. You were trained as a nurse. Are you able to do that job right now? I am not. In 2020, right after COVID hit, which I'm sure played a part in it, Jackie, a part of ours, attempted suicide on our lunch breaks. Your lunch break, did you stay at the hospital to do this or did you leave? So we literally walked out of our job went to try to kill ourselves and just never came back. And it was something where that was one of the times we had to be resuscitated. And it wasn't like we could hide it. We worked for the hospital, for God's sake. So when we did it and we were taken to the hospital, they were automatically notified. So the hospital then becomes not only concerned with your mental health, but the fact that you might be putting them at risk for something. Honestly, I believe so. I think it was one of those things where they tried to be as considerate as possible when explaining to me why I couldn't just come back. Before I went to law school, I worked in hospital public relations. When hospitals feel that a worker, especially a nurse, is a risk to themselves, they might also be a risk to others, and they really can't assume that kind of liability. They consider you to be a mentally ill person who can hurt them or their patients. And I don't even like to refer to DID as a mental illness, to be honest. It frustrates me when people do, because our parts get very upset and say, we are not a mental illness. So anytime... I try to say we have a mental illness. Everybody in our head flips out in our headspace. So I try to avoid that if I can. Well, tell them to get with the program. It is a mental disorder, and doctors call mental disorders mental illnesses. So it's a technicality, but it's true, and it's not something there's a cure for. You know, we have to learn how to live with it. You mentioned that your other parts are flipping out in your head. So obviously, you don't have a complete amnesia barrier. I do, and it's 100% solid. I don't remember anything my alters have done, and my alters can't communicate with me in my head. I don't hear voices of them talking. I've been completely shut out. I typically am informed by other people, whether it's my therapist, my best friend, about what's happened during that lost time, if possible. Then there's times where I will never know what happened. There's no way to know because nobody was either there or even knew I was losing that time. So how are they supposed to know I needed to know what was going on? Oh, my God. I can so relate with that. It's like you lose, you know, hours or a day or even a few days and then you wake up, as I call it, and it's like, oh, shit, what did I do? And how do I find out what I did without sounding like a crazy person by asking all these questions? Yeah, that was pretty much us last night. You just have to laugh at some of the situations. But like they say, it's all fun and games until you find yourself tied up in a sex sling playing caboose. Not that that ever happened to me too many times. 
I'm making jokes, but you know, it's not always funny. Sometimes we have to laugh because there's no other option except to cry, and that's just sad. Earlier, you referred to yourself as a system. That's a term that's relatively new in the DID and MPD world. Did you name your system? Because some people out there are naming their systems like the automobile industry names cars. I think that's strange. I thought it was weird at first when I started meeting other people with DID. We didn't have a system name. And I don't know if they got jealous that other people had a system name or what. So they came up with one. It was almost like a poll system through our therapist. She talked to each part at different times in our therapy session. We had like this, almost like a list of baby names. They went through it. For whatever reason, we landed on the name Crystal. So where everybody really liked Crystal System. They had to spell it uniquely, of course, just to kind of stand out, I guess. I don't know why. But so we are the Crystal System. I know I'm going to get some emails over this, but I don't view mine as a system. That is a term that never existed when I was dealing with my multiple personalities. I know they served a purpose. One of them saved my life a couple of times, but they ruined a very large part of my life. And that's something a lot of people with DID can say about their alters. I don't view them as a part of me that deserves anything from me. I am me, I am the host, I am the original, and this is my body. They are not welcome. I know that's terrible, but that's the way I feel. Okay, I'll get off my personal soapbox here. You're married, and you have kids. How is everyday life going for you with all of this? There's a lot of what I call masking, and that might be a term that's newer too. Masking is where one of your alters pretends to be your persona, right? Yes, there are some benefits and downfalls to that. Benefit, I don't have to explain to my 11-year-old that I have DID. Downside to that, he doesn't understand why we lose so much time and don't know what we've said or done. And grounding is darn near impossible because I don't even know what I did to ground him or what he did to get grounded. That's pretty much useless in my life. Oh, Lord. If he finds out you have it, can you imagine what he can get away with by saying, yes, you told me I could do that. No, you didn't tell me to do that. Grounded? You didn't say I was grounded. You do seem to have adjusted well to this, at least figured it out. Took many years, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Despite hearing your alters talking in your head, you still have an amnesia barrier. Yeah, I have an amnesia barrier myself. That being said, apparently the other parts don't have that same amnesia barrier and know what each other are saying and doing when they're out. That was the same with me. Mine used to conspire together. Sounds like Jackie all over again. I'm often joking that one of mine, Wayne, is a party guy. He's basically a whore. He actually was a whore at times. He likes to get out there and just have a good old time. Jackie is your party girl, isn't she? Yeah, the uh, whore term that you were referring to is not too far off. Tell us some things about her. She's kind of a wild girl, but she has a good heart. If you get to know her, she has like this emotional block where, can I cuss? What the fuck do you think? She's, fuck everybody, fuck everything. I'm going to do it my way, and if you don't like it, fuck off. She kind of reminds me of my mother. She's also the one that swears she has it in her to destroy us. So she's the one that would most likely complete a suicide attempt, even though Susan's the most likely one to attempt a suicide attempt. You really have your hands full, don't you? With her, yeah. 
The one thing that TV shows and movies get right about DID is that the alters usually want to live their own lives. They believe you're interfering with their lives and they just want to go off and do whatever they want and to hell with everyone else. I would say she is the number one person that I get called when I'm out and I don't know what's going on. The only one I ever got called when I was out was Wayne. And when I heard his name, it usually meant that he slept with a person. Yeah. So then I'm thinking, God, please let him at least be attractive. If he's an old troll, then I'm praying that Wayne got paid well for it. So it got to the point when I heard his name called to me, it was like, oh, crap. What now? Do I turn around or do I run? Exactly. That's another thing I have to laugh about. I just have to laugh because, oh, my gosh, if I thought about it too much, I'd just cry. Are you currently in therapy? I go to a domestic violence sexual assault center for therapy. I'm actually very lucky in the fact that they are a nonprofit, so they don't go through insurance. I had to wait on a very extensive list to get a therapist. And after about six months, I received one. Does she have experience treating DID? What's interesting about her is she's trauma-informed, but not necessarily DID-informed. If she has no experience treating it, how is that working out? She's learning too. She's doing everything she can to learn to help us. And we we find that very meaningful to us, that somebody cares enough to want to learn. It's refreshing to know that there are therapists out there willing to go the extra mile to treat their clients. So many of them pretend DID doesn't exist, and that just shocks me. There are billing codes for it. If insurance companies are willing to pay for the treatment of DID, then that's incontrovertible proof that DID is real. They fight everything. So they're like God when it comes to the recognition of a disorder. Exactly. You want your money, don't you? You've told us quite a bit about Jackie, and you briefly mentioned Susan. Tell us more about Susan. Susan is 13. Yeah, she's 13. I get Susan and Jackie's ages mixed up. It's funny because they're polar opposites. You would think I'd have their ages. But with the amnesia barrier, I'm just not very good with the ages. From my understanding, Susan is essentially stuck in middle school mindset. Part of the problem we have now is our son is now in middle school. And so that has been a huge trigger for Susan. If Susan thinks they're the same age, I imagine she believes she can also just come out and be his friend. Sometimes it makes parenting harder because she wants to be his friend rather than his parent. Coming up with rules and then her sabotaging the rules is a little difficult. Can't explain that to my 11-year-old. It must be incredibly stressful dealing with all the different ages of your alters and also having a son around the same age if at least one of the alters. I don't know how you do it. I have no idea what my I have no idea what ages my alters consider themselves to be. I've never really thought about it. I was in crisis mode for more than two decades, probably closer to three. So I never really sat down and just thought, I wonder how old Wayne thinks he is, or I wonder how old Mark thinks he is. I guess part of me always thought them to be the same age as I was at the time. I don't know if you've ever had some of the same thoughts that I've had, and that is that I might be an alter, meaning that I am not the one born into this body. I'm not that consciousness. I've wondered if I've been fronting all these years and the real Steve is in there somewhere. Have you ever thought about anything like that? More than I'd like to admit, yeah. It's kind of frightening, isn't it? Even thinking about it when you said it, I got a little shaky. Not because it's triggering or anything, but just because it's like I relate to that so much. I don't know if you've ever read the book called A Fractured Mind, My Life with Multiple Personality Disorder. It's by Robert B. Oxnum. 
In the book, he tells us that he was actually an altar, that the real Bob Oxnum, I believe it was, was inside for decades. And I found that to be absolutely horrifying because of my own thought about that. I have it on uh, Audible, but I have not finished it yet. I recommend the book. It has some issues because I think he could have given us more of the emotional side and his reactions to everything. And it's kind of whacked out because it's written by several of his personalities. Yet, it is just a fascinating book. Anyone who has DID should read that book because it makes you see that the alters do live separate lives at times. And for him, it was devastating when he found out the real Bob had been basically pushed to the side for decades. It's intriguing when you think that people with DID have this colony in our head of alters who decide who is going to front, in other words, who is going to be out, who is not, what the rules are, what their roles are. It's something that I've never been able to get in touch with because of this damned amnesia barrier that keeps me from even hearing anything going on in this colony. So I'm completely cut off, but others are not. And I find that fascinating to use the word twice in one podcast. I very much think that is a possibility. There's been talk that there's more than 10 of us and that some of them are more of a subsystem where they're not assigned roles, but they've taken on roles just to function. I don't consider them full-blown personalities. I don't know what you would call them. They're called fragments. Yeah, where they do what they got to do and then they disappear. Showers are very triggering for me and Susan both, and whether it is for Jackie. I'm sure Jackie just wouldn't care less. So we actually have a fragment or so that will come in and do it for us. Is showering something that triggers you based on the trauma that you went through as a child? Absolutely, 100%. My trigger when I was in my teens was being around other men. I was abused from the time I was four until I was about 16. Being molested and assaulted by men, especially at an age when I was questioning my sexuality to begin with, it became very confusing because I started asking myself, am I gay or are they making me feel gay? This was in the 60s and 70s when we were not educated on sexuality and really didn't know that much about it. I began to wonder if they had turned me gay. There were times just being around other kids that I was attracted to would trigger my dissociation and I would black out and have no idea, of course, what happened during that time. I didn't know what to do. Is it like, am I really gay or is it I was abused by a man that I think I'm gay now? Is that kind of where your mindset was? Yes, Crystal, that's it. As a child, as a young boy being molested by other men, even by other kids, I began to question what's going on because, you know, there's a point that I began to enjoy some of the things that was happening. It can sure fuck up the mind of a kid because it sure fucked up mine. I think the worst part of the abuse was when your body physically reacts in a positive manner. Exactly. I actually had someone who was a quasi-therapist tell me he did not understand why I was so traumatized by it since I ended up being a gay man anyway. That's the kind of crackpots that I have run across over the years. I am so sorry. Those guys in the movie Fargo had it right. Just take them out and put them through a wood chipper. Can I help you with that? Just saying. We'll get one that's gas operated. You can bring the gas and I'll bring the chipper. Okay, sounds good. But who's paying for the gas? That's what I want to know. Let Jackie do it. She can sell some drugs or something. Right? We kind of got off topic there for a minute. Sorry. No, no, no. That's okay, Crystal. And a disclaimer for the listeners. 
Crystal and I were merely joking about the use of any wood chipper to dispose of certain therapists who should not have a license. That's what I love about this program is all the different people I get to talk to and fantasize with. Enough with wood chippers and the movie Fargo. When you were diagnosed at 19, I'm sure that after it happened, you were on sort of a roller coaster ride until you figured out a way to deal with it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like you feel one way when you don't know. And then when you find out, it's not like you can go back. And there are sometimes I wish I could go back to not knowing. Then there's other times where I'm grateful I know because then I have an explanation as to why things are happening in my life, why I'm losing time, why people are calling me by the wrong name, all those things. There's a why to that. But the roller coaster truly starts when you find out that you have DID. When they diagnosed you, were you institutionalized after that or even at that time? Yeah. We, our system, have been hospitalized many, many times since Susan was born into our system. That being said, when we were 18, 19 years old, we were in a state hospital for a very long time. We went once when we were 18 for like three months. And then after the split with the therapist that I mentioned earlier, we went back to the state hospital for a suicide attempt, thanks Jackie, and spent a good six months there and then was transferred to a residential facility for a year and a half. It's amazing how many resources in the mental health system are devoted to DID patients. It seems that it's either because they don't know how to treat us or they're not willing to treat us. Absolutely. Either they don't think it exists, and if they think it does exist, they're not educated enough in DID to know what to do about it. There are some positive things that happen to us because we have DID. Have you run across things like that? I don't think we'd be alive right now if we didn't have DID. I really don't. I think we would have succeeded on suicide a long time ago. We would not be here. Well, it's the same with me, but would we be suicidal if we didn't have DID? I mean, if you think about it, that's the reason that I was trying to do it. Among my many problems, I had an idiotic, moronic, sociopathic alter who thought that stealing, embezzling, and eventually robbing banks was the best way he could think of to increase our income. That retirement plan was just one step below buying lottery tickets. Mine is Mark, and yours is Jackie. They're like Lucy and Ethel trying to come up with some scheme to make money to buy a new TV or something. I'm really going to have to come up with some contemporary references. But I have to say, if it hadn't been for my DID, I never would have met my husband because I met him after I moved back to Arkansas from Michigan a couple of years after I was released from prison. And he loves me despite all my flaws. You can't beat that. Yeah, I met my husband in a mental institution where my roommate was his stepmom. Can you imagine not having him? No, not, not at all. Because it takes a special person to understand us and to deal with us. Tolerate is kind of the word I use for him. He may not be the most informed person about DID just because he doesn't quite understand how it works. So we do a lot of masking around him. But he is also simultaneously very supportive, loves us very much, and puts up with us. How many people would stay married to somebody that hung themselves twice in two years, resuscitated twice in two years, and not think, wow, she doesn't love me, she wants out. Like, that's not what it was about, obviously. Some people might see it that way, and I hope they don't think I want out of this life for any other reason that I'm in pain. That's really the bottom line for those of us who turn in that direction. You know, as you have tried, I have tried, many of us have tried. Unfortunately, a lot of us have succeeded. 
I often see someone post about how suicide is selfish. They don't understand that it was done or attempted because the person reached a point of pain that they just couldn't go any further. And I hope I never reach that level again, and I hope you don't either. It truly felt like at some point I was doing my son a favor. I was allowing him to move on with his life and that this one big hurt of me committing suicide would be better than all the little hurts of constantly being hospitalized and med adjustments and Jackie. In retrospect, you can't say that it was a good judgment decision because that's the whole point. At the time that we do it and we try it, we are not making good decisions. We're not rational at all. Let's talk about some more irrational decisions, covering up for our alters. I have a long history of doing that where they would do something like shoplifting or embezzlement. You know, simple things. I would find a way to cover up for it. I doubt that you have anything like that, but do you find yourselves covering for what your alters do? I still do with Jackie. I am constantly cleaning up her messes simply because there are people I don't want to know about our system. It's not safe for them to know. They will throw it in our face. They will degrade us. They will tell us it's not real. Whatever it may be, it would not be good if they found out. And so instead of explaining the DID and explaining who Jackie is, we spend the time covering up for her so we don't have to tell them. When I had to do that, it was mentally and physically exhausting. I was a teenager with lots of energy or a young adult. I never had a family, a child to have to look after. You must be exhausted. Very much so. I napped before I came on here. Let's just put it that way. I remember it's like in order to help A, you've got to get something from B. In order to help B, you got to get something from C. And you end up trying to get all the things lined up in a row just perfectly just to get out of the mess. Yeah. I have two main alters, Mark and Wayne. Mark is the sociopath. Wayne is the whore. And you have two, Susan and Jackie. Covering up for Mark and Wayne was a daily chore. Unfortunately, neither one of them apparently liked to clean house. You know, if I would just have an alter who would like to clean house, it would make life so much easier. I need somebody to clean because I don't do it. Now I'm so busy, I don't have any time to clean. There's no time to clean when you're robbing banks. Okay, that one is a good burn. I have to give you that. But thank God that's way in the past. Tweedle Thief and Tweedle Horror haven't pulled anything like that since 1998. And I haven't had a blackout since 2009 that I know of. As far as cleaning is concerned, in prison they do teach you, well, not so much teach you as threaten you if you don't do it. After losing your privileges or going to the hole, you get very motivated to teach yourself. So how is it now? Do you clean well now or still struggle? Oh, I'm a terrible housekeeper. I'm a horrible housekeeper. The husband works and comes home and still has to clean and cook because these people do not know how to do that. We were never taught. I do cook. There is that. I have no idea if Mark or Wayne can cook. My aunt Estelle taught me how, not my mother. I want to turn the tables on you for a little bit. I want you to ask me some questions. Okay. I give every guest the opportunity to ask me some questions, and I reserve the right not to answer them. I understand that. I do. You said you haven't lost time in, in, since 2009. Am I correct? Not that I'm aware of. That's the tricky part, because when you're talking about amnesia, how do you know if you forgot something if you didn't know that you had something to forget? Does that make sense? When I was in college, every night, one of mine would go out. And I would know that because every morning I would wake up and there would be clothes on the floor that smelled of smoke or something. And so I knew they went to a bar and I was exhausted and my bank accounts were dry. So that's how I knew. But I haven't seen anything like that since 2009. Yeah. 
We stuck our Jackie out when we kept waking up with strangers in our bed. You're preaching to the choir on that one, sister. Okay, another question. What is the best and worst part about having DID for you? The worst part is they basically destroyed my life. They did things that I never would have done. They got worse and worse and worse as time went on to the point where I could no longer cover for them. They blew your life up. They blew my life up and then swept up what was left over and then blew that up. So that's the worst part. The best part, they saved my life. And I'm not talking about stopping me from committing suicide. They saved my life in a couple of other ways, but I really don't want to go into it at this point. So each one of us has had an experience where our lives were saved by our altars either stopping us from doing something terrible or from literally saving our life from something else. They kept us alive or out of big trouble. You're describing our crystal. See, I forgot about Crystal when I talked about your main altars, so you really have three. Crystal only comes out when she really needs to. <laughs> She's that one. Yeah, she is. Toss me another question. How would you explain DID to somebody who did not know what DID was? I would explain it this way. My brain fractured into many parts, and each one is its own personality. I don't know what the hell they do. If you piss me off, one of them is probably going to come out, and they may kick your ass. Who knows what they're going to do? Because of the trauma I went through, I have blackouts and do things that I have no memory of, and it's one of my alters who did it. Explain Can you imagine what life would be like without them? I would either be dead because I would have killed myself as a young teenager, or I would be practicing law, earning well into the six figures, and miserable. Yeah. I'm really happy with my life. Are you happy? For the most part, I am. For the most part, I am. And you know, that's a recent development where we felt better in our skin just letting the switches happen instead of fighting them. For so long, we fought the switches so hard, and we worked so hard to clean up Jackie's messes. And just allowing it to be has taken so much weight off my shoulders that I am happy compared to what it used to be like. I'm happy with my husband. I'm happy. I'm extremely happy with my son. Love him more than anything. And we have one rule in our system that everyone abides by. And that is you take care of the son no matter what. Son is number one. It's the only rule that our system has. That's amazing. You've been able to work with your system and get them to agree to the most important rule a parent could ever have. Anything else is pointless because Jackie doesn't do rules. Except for that one. And that is great. This has been just a wonderful, wonderful podcast. I love talking with you. Some people don't like to open up, and I'm glad you did. One thing I like to say is I'm very happy for you in the position that you're in, you know, having a family and being as happy as you can be. Thank you. I appreciate that. Crystal, thank you so much for coming onto the program. I wish you the best and keep in touch. Absolutely. And you as well. I want to thank everyone for listening to today's program. Join us next Friday as I interview another person who's living their life with dissociative identity disorder, please visit my website, themangledmind.com. That's themangledmind.com. I want to hear your story. Please fill out the request to be on the podcast. I promise to keep names confidential. I can disguise your voice if you want. And now make sure you hear and approve of the podcast episode before it airs. Have a great week. If you're in the United States and are considering self-harm, please call 988 or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. This has been the Mangled Mind Podcast, and I'm Steve Shelton. You can write to me at stephenshelton at themangledmind.com or go to my website, themangledmind.com. 
Until next week, stay safe and have good mental health.